Ready? Yeah. Cool. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of EM Over Easy. This is Tanner. We're joined by the rest of the terrible trio, Andy and Drew. Why are we terrible to say? I was going to say terrible trio. That's a terrible can be a compliment in today's terms. Pe- like the like, terrible towel? No, kids like the Sith and stuff like that and the evil empire in Star Wars. So this, it's, okay. it's those times. Terrible is okay. Man, I am overloaded already. <laughs> well, that's good because we're going to be talking about cognitive overload. Which is actually a, a topic that I am really intrigued by. Uh, it's something I've kind of looked into over the past few years. But I think the best way to introduce this topic is probably to just describe a scenario so we can kind of put a base on where we're at. About a year ago, I gave a lecture on this for our residency. And in preparation for that lecture, I sat down in the middle of a shift and, and wrote down every single thing I could think of that was on my brain at the time to try to figure out my cognitive burden. And, and this is kind of what I came up with. So... I was on a shift. I just had a very critical patient come in and had to be emergently intubated. During that intubation, the GlideScope had failed. And you know everything else went smooth, went back to my seat, and that was the time that I sat down and started writing everything that was on my mind. And basically, what it came up with was I had orders I needed to put in on this patient, sedation orders, vent settings, but then also orders to figure out what the heck was going on with this patient. I had to call the ICU. I had to tell the nursing about the sedation that I wanted them to use because the last few times I'd used sedation, they hadn't done it the way I wanted to. I had to figure out who I needed to talk to about the broken glide scope because that was something that we couldn't just ignore. We had to get that fixed as soon as we could. I, had to, I wanted to document on this patient. I needed to update the family that was in the room about the patient being emergently intubated. During that time, an EKG was put in front of me, so I had to say, STEMI, no STEMI. There, there it is, the EKG. As I was setting the EKG down, I glance at the board real quick, and on the tracking board, I have roughly 10 patients that are active. I know that two of them are ready to be dispoed, but I have to finish documentation. I have to actually print their discharge papers. I have one other one that I needed to put on pain medication orders that I had seen just before this emergent patient had come in, but I hadn't had a chance to do that yet. I had another patient I needed to reevaluate for a headache, and I had two more that I needed to see that I had signed up for right before that patient came in. At that same time, two residents came in, wanted to talk about the failed GlideScope and discuss all the intricacies of failed GlideScopes. And another group of residents and people, about three of them in the doc box, were talking about something that was not related at whatsoever to anything medical. But wanted your opinion, probably. Yeah. Wanted you to engage. Yeah. EKG number two was put in front of me. I was say, there's another EKG. Which yeah. was not a STEMI. But looked funny, and I was like, gosh dang it, I, I know something weird is about this, and I want to look something up real quick on like life in the fast lane or some other FOMED topic to make sure I'm not missing something here. Then EMS started to encode. I hear some ringing and bells going off from a vent, which makes me think about my other patient that I originally started with. And another nurse comes up to ask a question about another patient we have together. I get a third EKG. I then hear the song that is playing in the dock box at the time and realize that it really annoys me and makes me want to switch it. And then I also get the sensation that, oh yeah, I haven't peed in a long time and I'm really hungry. So all of that was going on in probably the span of like a minute to two minutes. You know, the first thing I would do is change the song. Exactly. Right, because, because now I have unloaded that one piece of burden something very from my head. I can, I can, that is something I can easily accomplish. Exactly. And that is checked off my list. And then I would move on and start prioritizing from there. You guys have had experiences like this, I'm sure. Yes. Absolutely. 
I wish this was a rare thing. Is probably the better way to say it. But the I feel like is this that, is the this is almost every shift. Well, this is our baseline. Yeah, is is the reality, and, and you don't realize it until you do the exercise that Tanner just talked about, which is sit down and break everything up and go. Here's all the things that are on my plate right now. From the minute you walk into the ED, and some of this is setup dependent. There's some EDs that are set up better than others, but you are the center of chaos, right? Chances are, even if you were walled off in your own room. You're surrounded by nursing, which is surrounded by patients. You have a computer screen in front of you that is doing exactly what you're doing, which is showing multiple patients, multiple things going on. There's a constant reminder of all the work that needs to be done. And in your head, you're constantly trying to sort out what is my priority, what is my next step, what is my mode of operation. And as soon as you figure out that pathway to accomplish things in an efficient manner, something else happens. And it can be as simple as that EKG. It can be, hey, that patient needs. It can be somebody screaming. Who knows what it is? It could be, just like you said, realizing that you really hate the song that's playing on the radio, but it breaks your focus and you become overloaded again. Yeah, there's actually pretty good data out there that our short-term memory, we can only process about four to five things. The minute you try to think of something extra on that, something else falls out or at least is incomplete and no longer fully there. Uh, and, and that makes it difficult. Like multitasking is a complete myth. It's, it's basically been debunked. And really what it is is task switching. So every single time that we get something else that interrupts us or comes into our realm that we weren't thinking about at the time, we have to stop whatever we're doing, whether it's thinking, process, whatever, start the new process, finish that, stop that one, go back to the original or to the next one. And so it's constant start, stop, start, stop, not actual multitasking. Right. You know, Drew, you, you kind of touched on one of the like key components of cognitive overload. There's some really, really deep stuff on this that the, the articles I was reading were way over my head. What I basically found in, in research is that there's kind of four types of overload. Very simply, they are too much supply, mm-hmm. too much demand, too many interruptions or multitasking, and then workplace infrastructure. And you kind of hit on the workplace infrastructure already with the fact that in the ER, we're, we're set up already to fail. Set up to fail. Absolutely. It, you know, some of our colleagues that work in clinics or have offices, Schedule they can appointments. see one patient. Yeah. They go back into their mm-hmm. perfectly set up room that is sheltered, set up the way that they know that they can process information quickly and appropriately, complete their task, and then go on to the next one. Yeah. Unfortunately for us, that doesn't happen. We're in the, we're in the middle of the chaos. It's what we signed up for. In terms of the other options, so too much supply is a really interesting one to me like because there's two, there's two forms of it. The first one is pushed supply, which is the things that happen that we can't control. Mm-hmm. So text message on your phone. Well, you can control. You can attempt to control. Okay. Attempt but, to control. But pushed supply means... There, there are things that happen. Yeah. They happen yeah. and, and you are not... You're not triggering this You're event. not triggering it. It is, it is happening to you. So things like a text message, a notification on your phone, an EKG being thrown in your face, a nurse or tech coming up to you and say, hey, patient in so-and-so wants this. A critical lab result. Critical lab result, exactly. A call from some random number on your vocera that ends up being something important. Things that you have to at least stop for a half second, switch to that task, say, do I need to do something with this right now? And if so, what am I going to do? And then go back to your task again. The other side of supply, too much supply, is pulled supply. So things with lots of information that you can pull from, but you have to think cognitively through what you're trying to look for and where that source is. These are your resources and exactly. understanding how to utilize your resources. We, you know, the antibiotic Bible, is, as I like to call it. 
I now have page numbers memorized to decrease the amount of cognitive burden on me. Like I know exactly, it, which is funny. I even have to look at it, right? Because I actually know the answer to the question I'm asking. Yeah. But there's something about just in that moment when you are cognitively burdened, making sure that you're not making exactly. a stupid mistake. So then it becomes a issue, but it's also solving a problem. And then the next one is too much demand. So this is like a busy day. We all know the difference we feel when we have a day that is quote unquote slow. What's that? It happens occasionally. I, this is a unicorn. <laughs> I'm, I would like to see one of these. When I think of too much demand in our job, I really think of the days where I see equivalent numbers, but the board looks different. Like there'll be shifts where I'll still see three patients an hour, but the waiting room never has 30 people in it. And so it's just the idea that there's 30 people out front, so I'm automatically upping my stress. Where I'll still see the same number of patients, but they kind of roll in in groups to where there is, you know, it does make a difference. You might see the same volume if there's 30 people out front that just you keep getting reminded of because it makes nurses uh, more antsy, it makes us more antsy, sure. it makes everybody more antsy. It's, so, it's an extra burden, there's extra no doubt. Burden. And yeah. like I've noticed this in when I've worked at like a freestanding ER. Mm-hmm. And I am not seeing a high volume of patients. I go. I come away from that shift feeling pretty decent about myself, yeah. even though it wasn't the greatest day ever at work. It wasn't a burden. It wasn't stressful, as compared to a full-on emergency department that is hopping thirty patients in the waiting room, like you described. And you walk away from your shift feeling like you've been beat nine ways since Sunday and soaked and drowned at the same time. Right. Absolutely. The fact that we can recognize cognitive overload is, mm-hmm. is step one and realizing the burdens that contribute to that. But how do we, how do we offload? So I kind of look at this as, as, you know, you brought up the four types. And for me, too much supplies one I think is something we do have control over. Um, I think of the push notifications on my phone. Uh, when I, I just got a new iPhone and I literally went to my notifications and turned a bunch of them off. And realized, all right, I don't want to know every time I get an email. Don't want to know every time I get a Twitter. Like, and then that way I set aside time, my time, to go and look at those things. To where it's like I check my email once a day. I look at Twitter, say twice a day. I look at Facebook twice a day. But I, I limit it to where I'm not I getting. I guarantee that's you look true. at Twitter more than twice a day. You just lied. I You're set burning up, on the inside. I, I set up times to do these things rather <laughs> than have them come to me. I'm going to tag them. him in like 15 posts today uh, and see if it's, it's, he only replies every, twice. Every 25 minutes to see what type yeah. of reply we get out of him. <laughs> and then and then even text messages to where I've gotten it to where, um, you know, like if my wife calls on shift, it doesn't it doesn't buzz the first time. But if she calls twice in three minutes, I can set up to where like I get the second call. I was, I was going to say the easy solution to this for anybody instead of having to go through and change notifications is when you're at work just put your phone on do not disturb yeah you can designate very specific people that will get through with phone calls Mm -hmm. so if your wife does call or a significant other and you want to make sure you get that because like for me my wife is pregnant i don't want to miss that phone call if she calls me and says hey guess what yeah right Baby's uh, coming. yeah so that's that's an easy one that you can do and you can turn on and off very quickly well and i think we forget that there's a phone number to the place that we work (laughs) <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, we have cell phones. We're all, true. we're all super connected now. But you know, 15 years ago, somebody needed to get a hold of you in the emergency department. They called the emergency department, and then the clerk or whoever answered the phone got a hold of you. And so it seems like a really mundane, stupid thing. But my wife has the number for our emergency department. Yeah. She's never had to call it. She'll occasionally send me text messages and understands that I may or may not reply to them depending on what I'm doing. But if there's something really important, call the ED. Because that's going to, you know, like, yes, that adds cognitive burden to me, but, but now I don't feel, because I know that she knows that's an option, I don't have to be connected to my phone. Yeah. My phone actually sits in my workplace. Yeah. So if I'm sitting at my desk doing something, I might get a notification on my watch if it's within range on a text message that isn't blocked. Sure. 
happens maybe once a shift or so, but I don't carry something in my pocket. No, so I'm not true. in a patient's room with something distracting me. I'm not in their recess bay with something distracting me that doesn't need to be distracting me. So I think I agree. Those are very easy things to do. Turn off that push notification when you can on something that you can control. Now there's things you can't control, right? And so the question to me is always when I feel myself becoming burdened, when I feel myself becoming overloaded, what what is the situation and how bad is it? Is it something where I truly, there are times that I feel I've lost control and I truly need to get up and walk away, right? It's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom right now. Not really because I have to pee, because I just, I have to reset. I have to get away for a second and I need those two minutes for me to process through in my head kind of my tasks but away from everybody else and in a place that I can't be disturbed I, I say that's that's the exact reason you're doing this is because it, you're pulling away the rest of the other stimulus that's right. overloading you that the, the environment overload so that you can then go through systematically in your head hey here's the next steps to get out of this dig myself out of this hole Right. That's something that happens a lot of times. Like if I get overextended on patients, all of a sudden I realize I have way too much active stuff. I can't think anymore. I can't put another patient on here because otherwise something's going to drop. And that's usually when I have to like reset. I go to the top of my list and I just work my way through. Run the board. Here's the next check, 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 check until I get that all done. And sometimes, you know what? It may end up with me bolusing a bunch of patients out, dispoing them before I pick up anything else. Absolutely. Just so I can... As you like to say, clear the mechanism. Clear the mechanism. And sometimes you have to to create a game plan. Yeah. Here's my next 20-minute game plan. Now, obviously, it's a plan. Things can get derailed pretty quickly. But you got six people on the board that you have something active you need to do. And you sit down and you look, okay, I need to follow up with this patient and this patient. I can discharge this one. And as I'm done following up, I'm going to swing into the room and let them know that that x-ray is normal and that they're going home. But they've already been discharged. So as long as I beat the nursing in there, that's going to be okay. Then I got to go, you know, do this quick lack repair. Yeah. Once I've taken those three things off the board so that I'm not going to get disturbed by them, and then I'm going to swing back around and follow up on these three tests that should be back by then, and you create your game plan. Now, you know, again, things are going to get derailed. Someone's going to find you for an EKG. That trauma might come in. That code might come in. But say you don't have another interruption. That's going to allow you to really clear a lot from your plate and then process through and be ready to take on that next load of interruptions and that next burden that's inevitably going to happen as you reload. Yeah, and I think part of it is also going into each shift with kind of a game plan. It's where I, I kind of have a standard way I do um, see patients. Is, you know, I'm, I'm a big sticker fan. I don't know everybody is, but I have a piece of paper. I think we all have a piece of paper that, you know, sticker goes on it. I, I actually have a system to where if I've written a note, I X out the date they visited, and then I put the dispo next to them, DC admit, to where like I cognitively look like, oh, their, stick, their sticker's there, but there's no crossed out for their for their date, which I haven't written my note, and then they don't have a dispo. Yeah, so you guys are actually describing two different styles of burden prevention. or So you're doing, Drew was talking about the active, mm-hmm. decreasing cognitive burden. Yeah. And you're talking about preventative. And both of them are great. You have to be able to do both. Absolutely. The more preventative you do ahead of time, the less you probably will have to do on shift. But we all know that's going to happen no matter what because our environment is not set up to cater to cognitive offloading. So some of the other like preventative stuff, simple things that come out like the um, algorithms or processes that you go through before you do things such as like airway setup. Checklists. Checklists. Exactly. You have either... Like some of those places have placemats with the shadows of each airway device that you're going to set out before every intubation. Right. You can do that. That's an easy checklist, cognitive offloading, so you don't even have to think before every time you intubate, mm-hmm. at least those that setup. Right. Other things, like Andy talked about, is having a simple pen and paper process so that you make sure you hit all the things that you need to do. I personally have an epic process. Like, if a tab is up on my epic, 
I cannot close that tab until I have completed the task that I want to do. So usually that is documenting to a certain point on that chart. If somebody comes up and like closes my Epic or changes the tab, it actually really messes up my flow because I have set it up very specifically Mm -hmm. and I leave things open or closed for very good reasons. Now I can usually figure out what happened, but it just takes a little bit extra time and effort like that. Yeah. I find something um, as simple as, so I I use, I think we all probably use a paper system. I I try, I've gone through multiple variations Mm -hmm. of this over the five years or so I've been practicing. And what I've come up with now is an incredibly simple, it's a room number, it's a last name, it's a chief complaint. And then on the very right side of the page is the person that's primarily taking care of it. So is it, it's the initials of the resident, it's the initials of the APP or it's my initials, right? And when the patient's been seen, they get one leg of a cross that goes through it. And when the patient's been documented on, they get the second. So they're X'd out, right? And it's that simple. Yeah. There's a little bit of space in there if I need to jot down a note or two sure. as far as this was something on a physical exam or this was an important lab result that I, I want to remember. I, I've also really appreciated the fact that I very rarely use the computers in the room, but if I'm going to go over results with a patient, I sit down at the computer and I say, I want to go over your results with you, mm-hmm. and I just open it up. And that, that way I'm not trying to – I know that there's a potassium. I know that there's an x-ray. I know there's something I want to tell them you about. You don't have to remember. I don't have to remember. I just have yeah. to remember that I need to sit down in that room, and I need to talk to them about their potassium. And instead of trying to remember the number, I just pull it up in front of them. And I think it really makes the patient also feel that I'm engaged, yeah. which is which is an appreciated thing. I also use my documentation system for little things that are inconsequential that can be done later, like a splint recheck that I do. Before I do the splint recheck, I pen a splint recheck note, and then I actually will close out that tab. Or maybe I'll leave it open. It doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, when I go back, you have to. in my inbox is a penned note, and I just have to remember then when I actually rechecked it to fill in those couple important details and sign that note. Yeah. So it's actually on the patient. And it, the flip side is I don't want to sign that note before I've actually done the recheck because then I've cleared it from my mind, but I haven't actually done the work. Exactly. Yeah. So I, that's one of those little things that I don't mind waiting until the end of my shift to clean up those details, but I want to make sure that it is in there. The, uh, the pen and paper documentation thing is very interesting to me because it also brings up the side of expertise. As we become more of an expert in our field, there's less cognitive burden on the day-to-day things that we do. And the difference you can see is the med student who goes into an ER patient's room and an attending. The med student goes in, they're there for 35 minutes, and they come out with an 8 by 11 sheet of paper with a thousand words and arrows and things crossed off and scratched out and little drawings and all kinds of stuff. The attending goes in and has, as you said, a single slash or a double slash. And that's it. That's it. And and think back, my intern year, I used a quarter of a sheet of paper. Used a lot of paper. Sticker <laughs> and notes, right? And then at some point... It Did became... you recycle all that? No, I still have them all. <laughs> <laughs> They're like in the bottom of a you know of file a somewhere in case I get audited on something. You know, but then it turns into an eighth of a piece of paper and then it turns into the amount of space the sticker takes up but it goes all the way across the length of the paper and then the paper gets folded in half vertically and it's just that little bit of space and then now I don't even have stickers. I, I, at one side I use stickers and on one side, I don't use stickers. It's kind of a weird thing, but it's um, it's a different flow between the two different sites. And I found that actually having a different mechanism for each place that I work at helps me based on the way the flow works at that site. Yeah. I think one of the things that actually has frustrated me the most about this is that I feel like it's super important and nobody talks about it. No, that's nope. true. And you look at other jobs that have similar stress levels and it's efficiency, or, it's efficiency, it's efficiency, and or yeah. multitasking type of scenarios and they have mandated breaks and things mm-hmm. like you look at air traffic controllers they have to take breaks yeah. they're not allowed to go without breaks mm-hmm. and when they are taking breaks they're 
encouraged to not do anything mentally stimulating. Like they're supposed to take a legitimate break, not look at their phone, not do anything else. Don't sit at your desk and eat and document at the same time and review chart. You know, don't take a break. And, and they're, you know, for good reason, balancing people's lives in their hands. But Mm -hmm. so are we, why is, why is that different for us? How, how are we just supposed to go through and work through these shifts? Like, with all of these interruptions and, and quote-unquote multitasking opportunities, it's, it's crazy to me. It's actually really funny because I compare myself a lot to an air traffic controller. I no joke use that analogy when I talk to patients. I go, the reality in this situation, my job is to be the air traffic controller. You came to me. I decided based on your evaluation where you need to go, and now I am directing you to that place. Yeah. And it, it, <laughs> uh, which is essentially what air traffic is doing, right? They're receiving somebody from, from one, you know, do you... Uh, on purpose sometimes just make somebody fly around in circles? Sometimes. That would be the patient Every that once continually in a while. to get, you know, they, they get like the nickel and dime testing. You're like, <laughs> oh, well, that CT didn't really show me what I wanted to see. So now I got to get the ultrasound. And the ultrasound told me I needed a different CT. And then, the, you know, and you, you do the. We've all had that patient. You know, somebody That's comes in, hey, I got you from Columbus Center. And I'm going to go ahead and send you up to send you over to Indianapolis Center. And yeah. uh, good day. Good day. Have a good one. If you, if anyone has ever listened to air traffic control, back on airplanes, you used to be able to do that. I actually don't know if you're able to anymore because with the new modern uh, entertainment systems, I don't think they have that, that cockpit feed anymore. Yeah. If you've uh, had a do. chance they to do, fly privately, it's actually an incredibly enlightening experience to, to hear the interactions and how so much information can be distributed between two people with so little conversation because they're talking the exact same language. They know exactly what the plan is between the two of them. And it's really just this quick exchange to make sure that everything is moving quickly and, and if we could manage to do a lot of that in the emergency department man our cognitive burden and our overload would be so much better i wouldn't be surprised if those are some of the biggest changes we see in terms of our personal wellness decreasing burnout is creating whatever it's going to be that allows us to do that quick communication concise without causing a bunch of cognitive overload tanner i'm getting a lot of this from what you're telling us and, and thank you so much for bringing this up because this yeah, is a huge topic is, is recognizing that this exists. I, I think everyone feels it, but really understanding that this is a legitimate thing that's been studied, that's been appreciated, and that there's different types of cognitive overload helps us figure out where we need to go. So what's my takeaway from this? What's your advice to me so I can be less burdened at the end of the day? You're exactly right. Step one is recognizing it. And then after that, once you recognize it, you can start to analyze and, and take that step back and say, okay, what would make my life better today? And you can do this simply by, at the end of every shift, just think back, okay, what would have made today much easier? And if it was something like, man, if, if I would have had more time to document, okay, maybe you find up and you set up a system with your nursing staff or whatever to say, hey, when I have this sitting out next to me, please don't bother me. Come back in five minutes. Let me finish my chart or whatever. Or if it's setting up a new process to make sure you remember how to or what, when to document. I'm going to create... The little flip thing, like you go to a Brazilian steakhouse, like food or no food. Exactly. I'm gonna have that sitting in my desk now. It's gonna be it's red or green, right? Green means I'm open for EKGs. I'm open for interruptions. Red means no. This is quiet time. Either I'm having a discussion with another provider, mm-hmm. a resident, an APP. That's that's an important conversation. Or literally, I am running the board and doing some documentation that has to get done. So the only reason for an interruption is gonna be a critical interruption. Yeah, and you have to be okay with having people wait. Yeah, we make we make patients wait all the time, but we also have to make sure that our staff is aware that you know sometimes I need to get through this thought, or else I may forget something, and that thing may be very important. So, 
building that relationship and, and also recognizing the, the burdens that are affecting you the most during shift is probably the step that you want to take. I've gotten very comfortable at having a staff member clearly approach me for something and giving them the one minute finger, which is I, I recognize you. I'm acknowledging that you're there, but either I'm in the middle of something and I'm not ready for this. I'm doing a conversation and it's actually been I, I've not had any issues with it. Yeah. You know, I've, you can tell when somebody has to interrupt you right away versus when they go, okay, cool. Yeah. Thank, thank you for acknowledging that I need to talk to you. And then you loop back around to them and you continue your thought. And I, I have found that little change in my practice to be immensely beneficial to my ability to get things done. The reality in this scenario is that everybody's going to be different. Everyone's at different levels of training, different levels of comfort. So it's all about recognizing that this is a problem and analyzing your specific situations to find the best way to decrease your cognitive burden. Thanks, guys. That's yeah, awesome. Appreciate Dan. you talking with me. Thanks Talk. for bringing this up. Incredibly important stuff that I think we uh, need to talk more about. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, until next time, feel free to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, blog, blog site, blog site, and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys soon. Bye.